So welcome to part two of our podcast. Uh, my guest is Denise Paradis. Denise is Executive Director of the New Brunswick Continuing Care Association. And, you know, we've been sitting here talking to Denise, and I guess you start to realize that uh, the nursing home sector is really a very different sector. Uh, it's, it's challenging by the fact that every home is different. Uh, and, you know, people used to talk about, well, physically homes are different, some homes are newer and so on, but probably even more critical than that is the makeup of the audience in the home, makeup of the, of the care, That's the residents. Yes. Yeah. Now, we've been talking about your incident reporting program. Uh, I guess a question I'd have, a, a curiosity one, is is when you sit back and look at, for example, 2022, right. what kind of things stood out when you looked at incidents across the nursing home sector? What right. kinds of what kinds of incidents were people having? Is it still the back? We, of course, anybody who's worked in the industry knows it's back, right. back tissue, shoulders, shoulders, neck, yeah, still arms. the soft tissues. 100%. And I think that's really what shaped us in that we were not going to stick with status quo as far as training and ways that we were going to um, address soft tissue injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because, like you said, 70 still remain of all our injuries are soft tissue injuries. And uh, that's been for the industry since the beginning of time. So why have we not been able to um, address that? I would say uh, uh, 80% are uh, of the um, classification of a resident attendant or PSW, depending on uh, where you are. And that makes sense. They're right at the front lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's then followed by LPNs. Um, would be the second one. But uh, the other thing with resident attendance is they don't get as much education as the rest of them. So their their thinking skills are more of task-oriented. And sometimes we have to find training that says, hey, stop. Um, and the other thing, too, is for years and years and years, everything focused on the resident um, like like I've uh, said before, uh, a lot of people think that, you know, our, our home is filled with really cute, frail, old, 90-year-old women, uh, you know, that are so sweet. But I can tell you, if you were not a sweet person out in the community, you're not a sweet person when you come into the nursing yeah. home either. If you were a tough tough man out there yeah. and rough and tumble, you're going to be rough and tumble when you come through our, our walls as well. But where we really have shifted the thinking, we've now also included the worker in the assessment. So we always had assessments of the resident. So how is that resident feeling today? Do they seem aggravated? And we had uh, implemented what was called gentle persuasive approaches. Okay. So that was specific to kind of the the behavioral issues that we have. So I'm trying to put your sock on and you're trying trying to stop me from doing that. Um, So we gave them assessment skills to say, you know what, what is the big deal of not wearing socks today if you don't want to wear socks today? Um, And not putting on socks and saving those moments for things that were actual, you know, uh, 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 life uh, type uh, Mm -hmm. issues like if you really needed cleaning up, we're going to clean you up, but we'll try and find a better way of doing it and maybe have you have you participate in that. Um, so that is some of the stuff that come came through loud and clear from the incident management system. So it really has now shaped our focus in the last three years that 
geez, we need to redesign what what nursing homes look like and how we work because this we're never going to eliminate these mm-hmm. incidences that are occurring otherwise. So now it's no longer just how is the resident today, but it's also looking at myself and saying, I had a rough weekend or I pulled my back muscle in, on the weekend. I'm not going to risk using my body to move another body. I'm going to use a piece of equipment today, even though normally I wouldn't with this resident. So there's a, a whole different way of thinking of it because the statistics were the same over and over. We're, mm-hmm. we're essentially the most dangerous person, place to work in Canada, yep. a nursing home. We yep. have more injuries than any other sector. Yep. Now, talk a little more about your gentle uh, persuasive approach. Where did you get that? How's it, how do the staff find it's working? Right. So um, gentle persuasive approach is um, out of Ontario. It was created by gerontological nurses. Um, I'm on the advisory committee, the national advisory committee. So now it takes takes information from everywhere. And the idea was just that, that we no longer <laughs> wrestled people in bed to put their compression socks on today, that we really could foresee um, things that are happening. So for instance, if there's a Mr. Smith, and I know he's a real handsy fella, uh, he was handsy out in the community, he's going to be handsy in our nursing home. I now know, what I used to do was I'd just go in and try and put his shirt on and just maybe tolerate being pinched or whatever it was but now through gentle persuasive approach we've given you some tools i already know that mr smith is handsy i'm not just finding that out for the first time because this is the first time we've got it written down somewhere as i've i'm educated on the person i kind of know what their triggers are um but i might hand mr smith a face cloth or a bowl of water and get him involved in the care so now his hands are busy and i can go about doing what i have to do during covid you could imagine um with alzheimer's trying to get uh swabs in people's noses and um you know the thought marjorie and i the thought of us holding somebody's head still while we did that we just couldn't bring ourselves to that Uh, And so we ended up asking, now, of course, we weren't doing the PCR test, we were doing the rapid test, we didn't have to get as far up the nose as anybody else. But we forget that there are still people in there. And so even though they didn't know who we were, and of course, we're in masks, and they were starting to resist, it just dawned on us, why don't we ask them to do it themselves? And guess what? We got our samples by allowing them to do it. So gentle persuasive approaches taught us those approaches where we have forgotten. We we almost infantize people. We forgot that there are humans amongst that. So gentle persuasive gives me the techniques to 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 bring someone to become more cooperative or for me not to force certain things on them. COVID must have been very challenging. Oh, yes. For, for nursing homes yeah. to deal with those kinds of issues. Yes. With the kinds of patients. Well, it was even worse not having families involved. Mm. So with gentle persuasive approach really had to come into play because um, people didn't understand why they... So at first when we were having... The first time when we could let people back in, their families back in, it had to be in an open area where we could wash down the chairs and the um, public health said that people had to be six feet apart. They couldn't touch. So you can imagine having a loved one with dementia sees their daughter that they haven't seen in months because we had been shut down. 
and not able to hug that person, not able to talk because we had to schedule everybody in. We had to leave time for everybody to be able to uh, visit a loved one. So what we would call the amount of violence that ensued after a loved one walked out of a, a nursing home because that person couldn't express themselves, their frustration and their sadness in any other way than lashing out towards uh, staff or, or items or any of that kind of stuff was something that we didn't even anticipate yeah. that level. It was it was it was something else. It, it had to be heartbreaking working yeah. in a home during COVID. Absolutely. I mean, we all, you know, I think anyone you talked to was affected by yes. COVID yes. in various ways. Yeah. But I, I I remember going through when we were going through COVID, thinking about you know those poor people in the homes. Yeah. They uh, you know they don't get a lot of visitors anyway. The family hasn't been allowed to be in. Yeah. It had to make it so tough. Had to make it so tough on the staff too. Yeah, the first place we went to, Marjorie and I, during an outbreak to go and help. Um, the day we arrived, their coworker, one of their coworkers, had died of COVID. They were one of the first. We also had um, several residents that had passed away that we had to prepare their bodies. Uh, and of course, nobody knows, but the funeral home was backing up because the whole community was in trouble. So um, bodies tended to stay uh, in the nursing home longer. Um, the one a case I can tell you that really sits in my mind is somebody who had their faculties with them. And we had to tell him he had COVID and he understood what COVID was. And his family was in Ontario, so he, he thought he was going to die and never see his family again. And um, it was heartbreaking for both Marjorie and I. And I remember um, saying to him, I see you're religious, you're religious and you can't bring your stuff into the COVID unit because you don't get it back when you come out. And so I said, I see you're religious. I said, I will buy you a new Bible if you would, we'll sneak this in under your covers <laughs> and uh so that you can have comfort while you're in there and um i will buy you a new one when you come out i said i have faith you're coming out and uh we'll have a bible waiting for you here and he was sure to tell me which bible that would be <laughs> that i needed to get and i can tell you that the lighthouse here in fredericton gave me one for free when they heard oh, they heard the thing so it was wonderful but anyways nice. long story short he came out but when we told him what he had he wept we sang Amazing Grace together. I mean, the nursing staff were weeping. He was weeping. We were weeping. My tough old Marjorie was weeping. Um, you know, but uh, that'll affect us all the time. But the mentality of that for the staff on a daily basis, these are people that, yes, we're used to having death in a nursing home, but we're not used to 11 people dying at once. And we're not used to the, fir the first one that had passed away resident-wise was only 54 years old. I mean, oh. it was and very vibrant resident. So it was a really hard on the staff. And I think we're really feeling the effects now, actually, um, oh. with the mental health and the physical exhaustion as well. Now, was there help provided to the staff? 
after that to deal with those yes situations. actually when the um when the staff member passed away we actually uh, the, the home actually brought a team in at that oh, moment good, good. and had everybody go through um uh, you know the efa the, or the efap um a prom, like team right. like the, the emergency team and then they continued after they were out of outbreak yeah I bet that wasn't in your job description when you accepted it, was it? It was not. Wow. Yeah, it certainly wasn't, so and nobody that... would ever expect expect it. Yeah. And what was funny was I remember when I had heard COVID sort of in the background, and I had turned to Marjorie and I said, COVID, I said, um, is that something the Safety Association is going to have to get involved in um, in any way? Like, should we be preparing anything? And she says, ah, oh, no, it's a public health thing. We were knee deep in supplies and um, and going to the front lines and testing and all of that kind of stuff. It was incredible. Oh. Yeah. And uh, kudos to all the staff that worked through it, really. And yeah. the communities, too, because um, it was extremely hard on families. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's hard on both. Yes. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yes. Hard on the patient. But, you know, when, when mom or dad or uncle or aunt so-and-so is in the, in the nursing home yep. and you can't get in to see them. Yep. And you know they have COVID or... Yeah. We had a family standing outside the window and it couldn't have been rainier or windier every single day. Yeah. And they're standing in front of the big window watching their loved one die, which was exactly what was happening. It was... That's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Oh. Yeah. And, th- and images you're never going to get rid of either. Oh. Yeah. As long as you live. So it's it's quite quite a different atmosphere to go. But what I can say is, until we did come to the front lines, so we did a whole PPE and what PPE, because everybody was worried, why don't we have N95s? And why don't we, and you really don't need them. We didn't get COVID if you had a face shield and a medical mask that, and you know, the, mm. something to cover your clothing. It was perfectly fine. But because Marjorie and I were there, other homes where we weren't able to go to, had even more severe staff shortages because they were terrified to come in and they were even more terrified to bring it home. So every single day we were doing huddles, even on the wings that didn't have COVID and answered every single question they needed answered and lived by what we were giving them as advice. So Uh, if we told them they didn't need an N95, Marjorie and I were not wearing an N95. We were wearing whatever they're wearing. And then we could say to them, look, do you think we're going to put ourselves in danger? You can trust us. So they had all, all their staff came back when they heard we were there, every single one of them, except for one that worked in utility. So that that was a single dad, I think. So he was really worried about, uh, you know, the effects. We couldn't, we couldn't, we talked to him several times, but some people's fears are some people's fears and um, you can't, can't, but at least the home had all their staff come back. When we arrived, they had like two staff on one, on one wing. That was all that would come in. So it was great. We put in the testing and uh, they, they trusted us Oh, Many lot. years ago, before the pandemic and before COVID, uh, I sat through a presentation that was talking about this kind of thing happening. Right. And I remember, you know, when some of the things you've said, like, for example, uh, they talked in the presentation about morgues would be backed up. That's right. That you would have freezer trucks. That's right. Parked by. Uh, they talked about issues like this, as I said, that the staffing would be a big one. Yeah. Because, yes, it, it wasn't necessarily people say, well, Maybe only one or two people have COVID, so everyone else will be coming in. And they were saying, no, no, no. 
That's, that's right. the problem, that's as you right. just said. That's right. That the, the other people wouldn't come in. That's and right. And it's to convince them to come in. Yeah, that's right. No matter what your duty is, in the end, I'm a human being. Yeah. And a lot of our communities had, perhaps the staff was vaccinated, but their family wasn't. Because their yeah. family didn't believe in it, but they yeah. had to be vaccinated in order to show up for work and to continue to earn money. So yeah. there was that issue, like, I don't want to leave. We had, in the one location, they brought in um, trailers. So if somebody was afraid to go home... They could stay in a yeah. RV uh, on site and yeah. uh, provide care and sleep there and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it, it was it was a wild, wild, a yeah. And I was in those same presentations as you. That was the H1N1. Yes. Uh, yeah, we had a lot more notice. And actually, it's so funny because that's what we talk about, about all of a sudden it didn't pan out the same way. We should have had the supplies, the H1N1 told us about shortages but yet somehow we decided that's where we were going to save money uh as a government as individual organizations that we weren't going to have that three month supply of products masks all that stuff i'm like you i remember sitting through those presentations and then the experts tell them yeah exactly oh these are the things you need to do to be ready that's right. And then I'm afraid, you know, sad as it is, people left those meetings and didn't do what they needed to do, so we were ready. I agree. Yep. Now, the nice thing I do see about it now, if you go on the WorkSafeNB website, you know, COVID, no, it's still with us, but they, they have a big, on their splash page, they have a big uh, article saying, hey, yes, COVID is hopefully going to wind down over time, right. but think about the next pandemic develop your policies and procedures so that next time maybe we will be ready. That's right. And 100%. I remember during the H1N1 presentation, everybody said, there's no way we can wear masks all the time. The residents will be terrified, all that kind of stuff. Um, To me, and not that it's in place yet, but to me, I I would like to see the nursing homes during flu season go automatic to medical masks. Not the N95s, but the medical mask. Because... The reality is, and this was what I was saying all during COVID, it's come in from the outside. One of you brought it in here. Um, the residents aren't bringing it to you. Somebody brought it to the residents kind of thing, and then it spreads. So it's uh, quite quite, quite the difference. A couple of quick things I want to talk about. Be, you know, I'm sure time's winding down here again. <laughs> uh, but a couple of the innovative things you're doing that I find just fantastic. Virtual technology. Yes. Um, Virtual reality, I guess, is a better way to put it. Yeah. Explain to folks what you're doing in that area. Yes. So um, we do offer um, that we noticed during COVID we couldn't get to people. Uh, We couldn't get to a lot of people. But the hand washing was such an important part of Mm -hmm. uh, infection control and continues to be. It's number number one. Um, And we could do an audit, a hand audit, and at that moment, you're going to wash your hands just fine. But what happens when we walk away on the day-to-day basis? The squirts get shorter, (laughs) the rubbing gets shorter, all that kind of stuff. So it really got our juices flowing about um, really that our workers were really restricted and needed on the front lines. So what could we do to bring education on a a regular basis? So um, we uh, we did um, two VR modules so far. 
Um, and then the process of looking for major funding to build a virtual library, because I think that's the key, that we'll just have a, a library. And then we feel that base, based on the current research, virtual reality is the way to go. So using VR is not unique. Um, as you know, many post-secondary schools are starting to use them. What is unique about what we are building is that safety is no longer a siloed event. So it's not something I apply over top of what I'm already doing. When we're able to put it in the VR, this is going to be just the way the task is done. Uh, this is the procedure is completed with safety already incorporated even down to the WIMIS stuff. So in virtual reality, uh, our first module we have is a hand washing module like I talked about. The person dips their hand in mud and then they're taking through the steps to wash their hands and the idea is there's no more mud left on their hands. So if they've missed a spot, they'll still have uh, mud on their hands. Now, our second module is about uh, getting Mr. Smith ready for a doctor's visit, okay. uh, which happens often. And often we force people to put on clothes and all that kind of stuff and get them up a lot quicker. So that's what the module is about, the gentle persuasive approach kind of way in. But if I try to get into that room without washing my hands because there is a virtual sanitizer just outside, it won't. the, the system's not going to let me in. Mm. And then if I use the hand sanitizer but didn't do my hands properly, the system's not going to let me in. So now the system is allowing me to self-audit my bad habits that have come up over time. And uh, we're really excited about it. And then instead of having... Because, first of all, it's hard to get anybody off the floor and replaced on the floor. But if I do a full day's training with you, I'm probably going to retain maybe 20% or a key thing. If I did virtual reality every day, every shift that I'm on for 10 minutes a day and worked on some some skill, it's going to be harder for me to forget what I've learned. And, and adding safety to it is the exciting part. Very good. Yeah. Now, last item I want to talk about, certainly not the least. <laughs> uh, you made a trip to Denmark. Yes. And that was extremely productive. Talk to us about that. Yes. So what brought us to Denmark was, was sort of like what we were talking about, that we were looking for something different, something that was working. And in Denmark, they have a law. So the EU, the, uh, the Europe in general, uh, have a law that uh, individual can't lift more than 25 uh, kilograms. Denmark has that law, which is throughout the uh, EU countries, but then added that you can only do that so much in a day. And then they added a law that stated, if a piece of equipment existed to do that manual lift, that it was illegal for me to do that lift using my body and, and it was against the worker and the employee, employer. Because often we have equipment and then they choose not to use it. They mm -hmm. just, they're not going to go and get it. So, so it's, it's twofold. So we went to go see how that law works. But what was great about them adding that law, which I really feel North America should really adapt, I really do, was that it created an entire industry dedicated to inventing mm. Uh, equipment to remove lifting because they know if I invent this piece of equipment they're required to use it <laughs> so it was quite something so what we went there for was uh, our new program our new MSI all the right moves program has eliminated all physical lifting except for at the bedside so there's certain things we could we couldn't 
find a machine to do. So moving a resident from onto their side, let's say, to wash their back and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, often when I'm sitting up in bed, I kind of, as a resident, I, I might slide down. We have slider sheets on there that make it easier to slide them. So those same slider sheets also make it easier for somebody to start slipping down. So I need to move them back up to the top yep. of the bed kind of thing. We're doing that manually. So whether you're 450 pounds or 80 pounds, mm -hmm. we're lifting uh, and, and, and moving. So this new bed uh, that was, well, I wouldn't even say new. It's been there for 20 years, believe it or not. We got to see it working on the front lines. It will eliminate that. So it's, it's essentially two sheets on a roller. Mm -hmm. And then depending on what, and you push a button and I can bring you to one side of the bed or the other side of the bed, I can roll you over. So even a simple task like um, putting on a sling would probably require you to walk back and forth on uh, around a bed about eight to ten times. Just adjusting it on one side, then rolling on the other side, then pulling me to the side then, and going back and forth to get that sling in place before I can even use a ceiling lift. This would be a push of a button. So I would push a button to put you on your side. I would lay the sling on you, push the button, and you'd roll right into the sling. So it will be a game changer for our industry. And so two weeks ago, it arrived in Canada. Very good. It's at the uh, University of Moncton, who, because of this whole Denmark project, has created an ergonomics uh, lab for healthcare. So they're testing, they'll test procedures, they'll test technology, they'll test equipment to see what the effects on the worker's body uh, that has. And then they can kind of give their um, stamp of approval that, you know, Without this piece of equipment, this is the accumulative load. And that's that's the other thing, too, is so many people use the median of load. So if you had a 400-pound resident and an 80-pound resident, they divide that by two and say that's that's the median. But what we're saying is it's not about the median. It's oh. about the accumulative. It's 400 plus 80 plus another 125 plus mm -hmm. So um, they're going to measure uh, how much of that load is offset by the equipment. So, yeah. Now, for our audience, Denise sent me the link yesterday to this piece of equipment. And I've had a number of relatives over the years that have ended up, you know, as they aged in, in uh, nursing homes and so on. And I've, I've often watched the nurses move them. Right. And I watched your video yesterday. What a slick piece of equipment. Very, Isn't very it? nice. Yeah. Very practical. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I'm sure over time that's going to be a, a big, big assistant. Yes. There's so many, so many, as you said earlier, so many injuries are tied into moving patients. Yes. Using my patients. body to move another body. Yeah. And yeah. we, we really have to stop it. As since our program without the, without the, we've had anecdotal accounts of, we have workers coming up to us saying, you know, I actually have energy at the end of the day. Yeah. Or three weeks after we started implementing these moves, um, we all of a sudden noticed I didn't have a sore back when I was going home. Yeah. So it's huge. And, and and our work is also, there's sometimes it has nothing to do with an injury. I might be getting older and have arthritis as a nurse, and I have to end my career early because the work is so heavy for me to do. I will hurt myself if I yeah. continue on. If we can eliminate that, uh, yeah, huge difference for everybody. We want them to go home. We don't want them to be couch potatoes. We want them to be able to enjoy their children, their loved ones at the end of a day. 
Well, look, Denise, thank you very much for coming in. Very, very informative. Uh, for anyone listening to our podcast, again, we'd love you to have your feedback, whether it's about our podcast today or simply if you have an idea for a speaker, uh, please send it off to us at podcast at ssnv.ca. And uh, we'll continue to feature people like Denise. And uh, we'll check back with Denise in a little while. And we're curious as to uh, what's and how some of these things are going to work out. Maybe we'll even take you to the lab. Oh, I'd like to see that. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you.